how many of you have ever done anything that just is physically, I mean, just extreme, like maybe run a marathon? Have you ever done that? Let me ask this question. Can you imagine running that far? Now, some of us can't. I, I just, it's undoable to me. I, I think probably Heather could imagine running that far. I think, I know that Melissa has run at least one. Heather, I talked to earlier, and she said she might have run in three. Um, they're not here today or else I'd make fun of her for doing that. I don't know what possesses a person to do that. Um, Faith is running a half marathon. Is that right? Half marathon. So she can kind of probably imagine running that far. So that's not, a, that's not an extreme enough illustration, and so we're going to have to go a step further. How about, could you imagine running from bad water in the middle of um, Death Valley, this lowest point in the United States, 280 feet below sea level, to Mount Whitney, which I think is about 8,700 feet high. It's the highest point in the lower 48. And it's just a short run, only 135 miles long, in the middle of July, across three mountain ranges to get there. The total, you're ascending a total of 13,000 feet by the time you climb those mountain ranges three times. Can you imagine that? I mean, that seems impossible to me. But, but for the illustration I need to make today, I don't know that that goes far enough. I don't know that, that that's a big enough, a big enough challenge. I, I think because if we work hard enough, maybe we could, we could do something like that. How about if you rolled out of bed this morning and jumped on a bike and started on a 2,000-mile bike ride? Sound good? Can you imagine that? How about climbing into a boat by yourself or with another person or three people, a solo two-man or four-man team, and going on a, a, an Atlantic row race, a cross-Atlantic row race for 2,900 miles, rowing all day, every day for maybe 60 or 100 days. And now this, I think it was last year, I think it's what I read, was their first Indian Ocean row race, and it was over 3,000 miles long. And these people would get in these boats, and they would row and row and row and row, and they'd sleep for maybe 20 minutes at a time, 20 minutes to an hour at a time. And they would do that for 60 to 100 days. Imagine being able to roll out of bed this morning and go and do that. Just having that power, that strength, that endurance, just like that. See, today as we go back into the book of Acts and study what's happening in the book of Acts, we're not going to see people running races, and we're not going to see people getting up and, and going long distances. But what they're going to be able to do at the end of the day will be so much more than even we can imagine. The, the change of power, the change of presence in their lives will be so different because what Jesus has promised them in the coming of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, I mean, He says... You're going to be baptized in the Spirit. And he says to them, when the Spirit comes on you, you're going to have power. That is going to be fulfilled in, in the Scripture passage we read today. And what they woke up and what they were when they first rolled out of bed, what they were capable of and what they were willing to do and how far they were able to go is going to be so much different than it would be when they laid their heads down that night. Acts chapter 2 is where we're at, and so if you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and flip to that. We'll just be in Acts chapter 2. We'll, we'll read through the first section of that. But as you're flipping there, let me, just, let me just kind of get us in place where we're at. Acts is the continuing story of the work of Christ in and through His people. The, the story of Acts is Jesus has ascended. He's given His people proof that He's real. He's given them power. He's given them priority. He's given them a new priority. They've got a mission to do. And he's called them to go and tell people, give them uh, to, to be a witness to them, to, to spread the word. 
And to do that until the time he comes back, that's the job they have to do until he returns. And as they do that, you know, their lives are changed. They become very different people. Having been exposed to the risen Lord, having seen Him with their own eyes, having, having heard His teachings, having received the Spirit at some level, because when Jesus was with them, He says, receive the Spirit. He gives them understanding. He teaches them the Scriptures. And while He's with them, while that happens, there is some change. But man, today we're going to see something drastic happen. And so as today, as we turn back to that, we'll, we will see the fullness of the fulfillment of what Jesus said was going to happen. So let's just start, dig into it, and, and uh, just see what the Lord has. Before we read, let's, let's just pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can come to it, that we can learn, that it can change our lives. I thank you that, that you have, uh, through your spirit, empowered it for, for uh, equipping us and making us ready, for, for correcting us where we're wrong and, and demonstrating to us the correct way to go. I thank you that you've, you've put in it through your spirit the power to... Um, to, to prepare us for the good work that you have ahead of, ahead of us, uh, the, the good work that you've called us to. I pray that we would uh, hear from it today, that your spirit would be heavy on us, and that we would learn, and that we would be changed in your presence and by the power of your spirit. It's all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, here, it just starts off on the day of Pentecost. It's important for us to think about this. This is Luke's way of letting us know kind of the time frame. Pentecost was the, a celebration that happened 50 days after Passover. The Jews called it something different in that day. It was, it was called uh, the, the Feast of Weeks, or Shavat is, is the uh, Hebrew term for that. But anyway, they, uh, they would celebrate that at, at 50 days after Passover. And it was an annual feast, and, and people were expected to show back up in Jerusalem and celebrate this festival. It was the celebration of the giving of the law, the celebration of the first fruits, and, 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 and the first fruits of the harvest, and things like that. So here they were. They were in, in Jerusalem at Pentecost, and it says immediately, it says, it reminds us, they were all together in one place. Remember what we talked about last week. This is important for us to understand. When Jesus had risen from the grave, he, he changed their lives. When He was dead and in the ground, and before they had experienced meeting Him and, and being exposed to the risen Savior, they were kind of going and doing their own things. They were separated. They were going different directions. But after having experienced the risen Lord, after seeing Him in the flesh, and after Him proving to, to them that He was real... They stay together. They unite. They're of one mind. Here they are in Jerusalem still, ten days later, staying together, one mind. And it tells us last week that they're devoting themselves to prayer and, and they're seeking the Lord. And here they are doing the same thing ten days later. And it suddenly says, and suddenly, here they are. They're waiting in this room. They're, they're waiting at this house. They're hanging out in Jerusalem. They don't know what to do. They, don't, they, they know that Jesus had said, power is going to come on you. They know that, that Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to come. And then they don't know what it's going to look like. They don't know what it's going to feel like. They don't know really what to expect. But they're there together. And they're hanging out in Jerusalem. And they're waiting. Now think about this. They had been sent out by Jesus when he was still walking the earth. They had been sent out. And he had given them power to heal. He had been given them power to teach. He had given them power to cast out demons. So they knew what it was to work in power. They knew what it was to experience God's power and to be able to do something that was beyond themselves. But they, I don't think they had any idea 
what to expect as they sat there and waited. And suddenly, without any warning, without, without some forecast, you know, I mean, we, we look at the weather and we oh, it's going to snow tomorrow, I need to be ready for that. Without any knowledge that it was about to happen, boom, it sounds like a tornado. That's what I imagine in my mind. The sound of rushing wind. I don't want you to picture that inside that house that papers were blowing all around and that, 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 that it was just chaotic. Because I don't think that's what it was. It sounded like wind. There was a sound of rushing wind. So maybe the sound of a freight train, like people talk about the, the tornado sounds like just, just this massive sound. In fact, as we read further, you'll find that it was so loud that it drew the attention of people in the city that they came to check out and see what was going on. This was massive. And they're right in the middle of it, and it filled the house that they were in. And they're sitting there, and, and I don't know what that initial reaction is, but then there's fire. And all of a sudden, this fire looks like tongues, and it's coming over and leaning and laying on them and setting on them. Now, the idea here is it's not just you sitting down in a chair. You know, it's, it's not like that. The idea is that it settles and it lingers. And so it stayed and so as the, as the fire comes out, there's these tongues that come out and it sets on these people and it lingers on them. That blows my mind. That's a story that's hard for me to imagine. It's hard for me to figure out, but, but it's not the first time, it's not the only time in Scripture that God is, is prefigured or, or, or uh, represented by fire. You know, in Hebrews it talks about that uh, our God is a consuming fire. But Moses, when he was walking along, he sees a burning bush and it's not catching, I mean, it's not burning up. And he's like, I've got to go over and see what's going on. And God says, don't come any closer. Take your shoes off for where you're staying is holy ground. You see, and I, I think there's an interesting, a few interesting parallels there as, as we consider the difference between, or the, or the parallels between Moses and, and these apostles experiencing God in this fire. I mean, first you see Moses, you know, he walks up and he sees the, this burning bush and then he hears God speak. He's having an individual, intimate interaction with God, the Creator of all the world. And these guys sitting in this house, they're, they're having this individual interaction with, with God, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> he was there at creation as well. The Creator of all the world interacting with these people. And this fire settling on them, and, and, and Moses standing before the bush, and, and hearing God speak, and, and sensing His presence, knowing His presence. So in both of these instances, as God appeared, as in both of these instances, you see Moses being sent into Egypt to retrieve God's people. You're going to go and you're going to get my people. And it sounds a little different, but the mission is no different. The, the apostles are to be witnesses to go into the world to retrieve God's people. And as this fire settles on them, and, and, and God's presence and power settles on them, the mission is the same. To go and be witnesses, to retrieve and lead God's people out. In both cases, the courses of their lives were greatly affected. Moses was happy in Midian. He was married. He had a life. And he had a wife too. He had a life there. He, he was happy there. He was content. He was shepherding sheep. You're going to go into Israel or Egypt and you're going to get my people and you're going to bring them out. These apostles, they were fishermen. They were, they were tax collectors. They were just normal Joes. They were everyday people just like you and me. And the power of God came on them. And the course of their lives would be changed. There's some differences though. In Moses' experience of the fire, in the burning bush, he was told, don't come too close. Take your shoes off. Here in this picture, you see God in His presence settling on them. Not just with them, 
Not just near them, settling on them. And this is the picture. Jesus called it. Jesus said, you're going to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. You're going to be immersed in Him. He's going to cover you. And that's the picture. That's what's happening here. So Moses is kept distant, and they are very close, and it's all over them. Also, you know, Moses, he's like, I, I can't speak. I don't have anything. I, 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 maybe, maybe he had a speech impediment, some people say. Maybe there was something wrong with the way he said words. Maybe he was just kind of uneducated. But that, that, that doesn't make sense because he was raised in the Pharaoh's castle, you know. He was raised and educated in their way. But for whatever reason, he, I, I can't speak. I can't do this. And here, these people are given words to say. In fact, that's what the rest of the passage talks about. That having been filled in the Spirit, that they are beginning to utter things as they are given the Word by God to say. This is a little different. You know, the story of Acts, and I've told you this, the story of Acts is God's continuing work. It's, it's not a new work. God has been redeeming His people and, and redeeming and working towards restoration since the very fall of man. It's not a new work. It's just being perceived in a new way. No longer is, is, is God working through law and calling people to, to sacrifice. He's, he's saying the sacrifice has been made. No longer is He saying that I will empower you from without. But now He's saying I'm going to come and I'm going to baptize and I'm going to cover you. I'm going I'm to empower you from within. I'm not just going to live with you. I'm going to live in you. And that's what's happening here. The fulfillment of this promise. Jesus had said, hey, when I go away, you're not going to be orphans. You're not going to be left alone. You're not going to be on your own. But I'm going to send another one, another counselor. He's going to lead you into truth. He's going to remind you about me. He's going to live in you. And here's the fulfillment of that. Here's, here's how it all began and how it, how it all started to work out. <clears throat> this continued work of redemption. It's a beautiful story. And so being filled with the power of God, you know, having the power of God all over them, and then being filled with that power, being influenced by it. It's, it's kind of like um, if you're filled with anger, how do you act? You're angry. If you're filled with, with jealousy, how do you act? That, that's the idea. As they were filled with the Spirit, it means that they were influenced by the Spirit, that they were submitted to Him, that, that He was controlling them. And as they did that, they began to speak in languages they didn't even know. They'd never spoken them before. They never said anything. Now, I, I, we need to make a distinction between this and what, what uh, is taught in churches today often as tongues. Because specifically here, it's speaking about languages. If you go back to the Greek, this is specifically speaking about languages. It's not talking about a, a private prayer language. It's not talking about the speaking in tongues where no one understands it or some angelic um, um, language that has to be interpreted because no one else can uh, uh, understand it. It's speaking about languages that people speak. That's the Greek word here. And so, and in addition to that, when it says that they uttered it, it doesn't mean that they mumbled it. It doesn't mean that, they, that they, no one could understand. It says, in fact, that word, if you were to translate it, it says that they spoke it clearly. They didn't have an accent that people couldn't understand. It's not like when you go, or, or when somebody, I'll pick on some race and, and I'll pay for it later, but you know, when a Chinese person comes over here and they can just barely speak English, sometimes it's very difficult to know what they're saying. There's a movie. What's the name of the movie? Uh, rah, 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 rah. I don't know, but anyway, they're singing some Christmas song and they can't say their L's. You, know. you don't know what they're singing. You have an idea. They're not doing that. 
That's not, what, that's, not, that's not what's going on. They are being empowered to speak in languages clearly that they have never known before. They didn't go to school and learn these things. They weren't taught these things along the way. They were given power to speak in a language they didn't know clearly. And I want, I want, I want to challenge you in this. There's a lot of people that teach today that this kind of gift is, is for, it's no longer necessary. It's no longer needed. Every time I've gone into a foreign country, I've prayed for this. You see, there's, there's, there's reasons that people would say that these gifts have ceased. There's scriptural interpretation that people say that those gifts have ceased and that just doesn't occur anymore. But oftentimes these same people that interpret the scripture that way hear a story from overseas about some amazing thing happening, about somebody, some, some amazing falling of language barriers, and, and, and they, they praise the Lord for it. Obviously, we don't need it here necessarily. Obviously, we, we live in a world, a country, where, where we're able to communicate with one another clearly. And, and we don't have to get up every morning and figure out how I'm going to speak to the people that I work with because I can communicate with them. But this was a, a, a much different place. This is a much different place. There was multiple languages. There was multiple, mul- multiple uh, cultures gathered around this place. In fact, as, as you start looking in the next passage, let's just go ahead and read it in verse 5. It says that there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, de- devout men from every nation under heaven. There was people living there that were from all over. You see, in the history of Jew- uh, the, the Israelite nation, they had been dispersed. They had, they had been scattered. Babylon came in somewhere around the 600s and they sent them out. And they, they spread them out and they dispersed them all over. It was called the Diaspora. And, and these people were from all over now. They were from everywhere. And so these cultures, some people would move back to Jerusalem. Some people would move back into Israel. Some people would come and visit for these big holidays. There was three that all Jewish people were expected to come back to the temple for. And, and so these people would come in and, and visit this, this place during these, these big days, these special days. But they were from all over. And so maybe, maybe we don't, don't get it, maybe we don't understand it, but there was a desperate need to see the gospel move forward. There was going to have to be some powerful working happening. There was going to have to be some powerful move to, to bring it past the language barriers. You know, and, and the thing is, is that God was big enough to separate the barriers, or to, to install the language barriers at the Tower of Babel. He was big enough to say, you're not going to understand one another. Boom, you can't speak to one another. He was big enough to do that in an instant. He's big enough to do it and bring it back together here. And I would challenge that he can still do it today. And to say that he won't do it, I just feel like it's standing on dangerous ground. I'm not going to stand in a place where I'm telling God what he can and can't do. I'm going to ask you to consider the same thing. You see, he's God. And if he, if he so chooses to do this, I pray for him to do it. I pray for him to do it. I, I pray for him to do it in such a way so that maybe I'm speaking English to people but that I'm speaking the same type of English that they're understanding. Because the reality is, is that I speak a different English than even my kids do. In fact, I was made fun of once because I said, surely, surely, surely not. And I was laughed at a little bit. I've never heard anybody but an old person say that. <laughs> well, I'm old. But here they are. They're in this place where all of these people are gathered together. And I think it's beautiful. It's beautiful because here God not only has the power to, to, to make people be able to speak in languages that they don't know, but immediately there's a fulfillment of Acts 1-8 happening right there in that moment. You're going to be my witnesses 
in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And here they are gathered in Jerusalem. The, the wind comes in and it gathers all of this attention. And people come and they see and they hear that, the, that hey, these people are praising God. They're speaking of His good works. And here immediately is, is a result or a fulfillment of Acts 1.8. Listen to what it says happens. It says in verse 5, we'll just pick that back up. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together. There's that rushing wind from somewhere in the city, and they're like, whoa, what is going on? What is that? And they take off, and they go to find it, and they get there, and they come together. It says they came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygeria and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya along, uh, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We, them, we hear them telling in our own tongues, in our own languages, the mighty works of God. Already, this, this power that God had put on them had given them the ability to speak to people from all over. And immediately, He's fulfilling the promise that He made. He's fulfilling, he's fulfilling the work that He said He was going to do. You're going to be My witnesses in Judea, or Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And really, the story of Acts is, is, is the outworking of that from then on. From this point forward, this is what's happening. Their witness to all of those places. And it starts right there. And here they are, contextualizing and using attractional means to gather a crowd and share the truth. I want you to think about this. Attractional ministry. You know, I have got nothing against attractional ministry. and In fact, I'm all for it. I'm all for using what you can to draw a crowd. I don't have a problem with that. I think that once the crowd gets there, you need to have something real to share with them. But I appreciate this in that... Here, the attraction was not first and foremost these people or anything that they were doing, but it was the very work of God. You see, and the thing that I hope will distinguish this church from any other church that's, that's, that's hung up on attractional ministry, if, if, if this is the issue that they face, I, I, I hope something that will be distinguish, a distinguishing mark of this church in our world is that we're not hanging on the show that we can put on. And that we're not, that we're not building our, our success on what we can do. But that we are marked by the very work and power of God. And that when people experience us and they come to know us, they don't recognize, they, they, they might see lights and, 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 and rock music and whatever it is that, that they see. But more than that, I hope we shine with the light and grace of God. And that we are moved by His power. Because that's what attracted these people. That's what drew them to this place. Was God's movement. God's work. His power. What only He can do. Brought them there. What was that? I need to go see. I need to, I need to see what's going on. And they get there. And immediately, they are struck by what is happening. What is this? These people are speaking to us the mighty works of God. And we're hearing it in our own language. They're Galileans. They're uneducated. They're not supposed to be smart enough to speak these languages. They're just stupid people. What's going on? You 
See, what had happened was that God attracted them there. God moved these people to this place so that they could hear His truth. And when these people got to that place, you know what they heard? They didn't hear King James. They didn't hear people that are highly educated using big words like soteriology and hermitology. And they didn't talk like that. You know how they talked? In a language that they could understand. And we can educate ourselves and we should educate ourselves and we should have a higher understanding of truth and we should dig and dig and dig and be grown by this truth. But when we go out and we speak, I pray for the power to speak in a way that people understand. That people can hear and respond to the truth of God. And that they hear His mighty works. And I'm able to speak to them about a man who came and put on flesh and dwelt among us and died a death on a cross in our place for our sin. But that He's not dead anymore and He rose from the grave. And I hope and I pray that I can speak it in such a way that they will understand. A, A story that seems crazy and outlandish. God came and put on flesh. And He sacrificed of Himself so that we could know Him and experience Him and live with Him. See, there's nothing wrong with attractional ministry and contextualization of the Gospel. It's got to happen. That's exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. But we must remember, it was God's power and it was God's work that made it all possible. And these people, these people, they they were used by God. And it was such a blessing for them to be there. Imagine what it would have been like to be there, to be speaking in Arab and never having known it. To be speaking in, in Latin and never having gone to school to learn it. All about the great things you know God has done. I pray for that. I pray for that in our church. I pray for that me individually. And I pray for that for you individually, that as we go from this place, as we are impacted by the truth, as we are grown and challenged by the truth, that we walk out these doors and we are able to communicate it to a world who has no life. You see, they're dead. There's plenty of believers out there. Don't hear me saying that. Don't, don't, don't hear me saying that we're the only ones. But as much as we're called to encourage and equip other believers, we are called to bring the truth to the lost. They're both the mission of God. They're both to be done. I think we have to do it in such a way that people understand. I mean, the Bible even. The Bible. It wasn't written to Greek scholars. It was written in a common language, a common tongue. It was written with, with, with simple words. Sure, we have difficulty understanding it because we don't know Greek. Sure, we have to take time and study and understand what those words really mean because we didn't grow up then. But this was street language. They understood it. It, it wasn't what people were sitting around and philosophizing about. It was a common tongue. The truth will never change. But the context in which we speak it always will. And I I pray for each of us that we have the ability to speak in the different circles we run so that God's truth can be made known. Let's just keep going. Verse 12. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a place that you just can't imagine what's happening in front of you. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where, where, where this crazy thing, and you're like, what is happening? What are they doing? I've never, I've never been in a place that I think would be this drastic, that would blow me away this much. 
But I imagine that these people came up on this scene and there's, you know, there was 120 people in the church and I think all 120 are there and they are proclaiming the, the power and, and the goodness of God in all of these different languages. And as they're doing that, these people come up on the scene and they're being interacted by people. And they're being talked to in these languages that they, these people shouldn't be able to speak this. And they're hearing this truth in this different language. And I can only imagine that they were there blown away in awe. In fact, that's what it says. They says they were bewildered. They didn't know what was happening. And in verse 12 it says, And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? What is going on? Is the end of the world here? I mean, what, did we miss something? Did, 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 what, what could be going on? And some, you know, they, they start mocking. And it says, But others were mocking and said, They are filled with new wine. Now just think about this for a minute. I mean, really, this is ludicrous. We can use alcohol for a lot of reasons to, a lot of, to do a lot of stupid things. I mean, I was in school, and I drank a lot, and I allowed alcohol to be my excuse for a lot of stupid, stupid decisions. I don't think I ever made a good decision while I was drunk. I'm just going to say that. I mean, it's possible, but I don't remember if I did. <laughs> That's true. I just thought of that. Wow. I don't remember. But these people are like, oh, they're drunk. When has alcohol ever been the source of knowledge? Really? That's the best you could come up with? They're drunk. Yeah, God is so good, you know. No, that's not what's going on. That's stupid. It's idiotic. But what do we do? What do we do when something we can't explain is happening in front of us? We start trying to make reasons. We start trying to figure it out. We start trying to define it in the only way we can define it. And that's by our own perspectives. You see, these people were scared. They didn't, they didn't want to hear this truth. They didn't want to experience this stuff. Oh, they're drunk! They've been drinking new wine. And here's another thing. New wine? I mean, come on. Really? New wine? It's, it, it was, the, the real translation, a more literal translation would be sweet wine. But it's not like that stuff was the, the stuff that had been fermented for a long time. That wasn't known for getting you drunk. This was something that was common for people to drink in the morning. It was more like grape juice before the fermentation process had really begun. They're drunk on sweet wine. I mean, that's, that's, that's ludicrous. Come on. Surely not. Really? But that's what we all do. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. It kind of scares me. It must be this. Oh, God couldn't have created the world. We must have come from this pile of you know God there's no God he doesn't care about us he does these stories in the Bible they're just poetry we do it all the time all the time and that's what they did and Peter Peter having experienced the risen Lord he's got a whole new perspective he has now been baptized in the spirit and he's being filled up by the spirit's power and he stands up and he says wait a minute verse 14 standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk as you suppose. He was probably nicer than I would have wanted to be. These people are not drunk as you suppose since it's only the third hour of the day. It's too early. Come on, we don't start drinking until noon. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. They're not drunk. You can make up all the excuses you want. This 
is the power of God and the fulfillment of prophecy. We'll get into that prophecy later. We'll, we'll talk about that next week. But the reality is this, is that Peter wanted them to know that this was God at work. And they had no excuse from that moment forward to think any other thing. This is the fulfillment of the prophet Joel. Your prophet, one who you study, one who you look to as someone who spoke truth. He said this was going to happen, and here it is. Now deal with it. It's the very power of God at work. This is an amazing story. The very power, the very power that, that, the man, that Jesus stood in front of the grave with and said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out. The very power that Jesus fed 5,000 with two loaves, or, or five loaves and two fish with. The very power that He healed the lame and made the blind see and made the deaf hear. The very power that holds all of creation together. The very power that in, when there was nothing but Him brought something into existence. The very power of God came and rested on these people and they spoke the truth in languages that they never knew. And they told people about what God was able to do. And that power, that power that rested on them is the very power that the Holy Spirit brings when we come to faith and we believe and are baptized in His presence. You have that power. It is not yours alone, but it is on you and in you by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. You see, we don't go into a world by ourselves with our own means. I can't convince anyone of Jack. But what I can do is being filled with the Spirit, being influenced by the Spirit, live in such a way that it brings truth into the very world I walk in. And light into a darkness that is dark, dark, dark. I can bring, I can walk in being filled with the Spirit, bring truth to a place that brings change that converts people. And I'm not alone. You, you have that power too. Power to turn from sin that displeases and dishonors God. Power to, to make good decisions and to look at what was wrong and what was nasty and dirty about your life to turn and go the other direction. Power to be His witnesses. In Springfield, Green County, Missouri, United States and to the ends of the world. You and I have that power. Look at these pages. Look at these words. And see it. See His power. And live in it. And live by it. Because that's what's going to make the difference. That's what's going to bring the change. That's what's going to save people. That's what's going to grow you up. That's what's going to change your life. Is that very power of God. The very power that created it all is that same power that lives in and on you. Let's pray. Father, we hear these words. I speak these words and I know that there's many times that I don't believe it. I demand signs and, and, and ask for you to do things that are just stupid and try to make excuses for things that are just stupid. God, I pray I pray that You would bring this into us, this truth that You are working in us and that You will work through us. 
I pray that You will bring us to this place where we are not living in our own means or by our own power. That we'll recognize that this mission that we're on is not for the ordinary man. It's more than we could ever imagine doing by ourselves. But I pray that that change and that conversion that you, that you bring in us would become so evident in us because the power of your Spirit is at work in us. Not for our glory. Not so that people will look at us and say, oh, what great people they are. But so that as they see our lives and hear our words, that they will hear the mighty works that you have done and continue to do. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.